Hello, welcome to the I Am The Code podcast. I'm your host, Mariam Jam. I am so happy and delighted to have you again join me this week. Thank you so much for your support, your love and your kindness. We are doing very well at I Am The Code. It's quite tough right now for everyone, right? It's challenging. Everybody is feeling it, but we need it there. We need it there. I heard this morning that the United Kingdom have now a roadmap, which is fantastic. I cannot wait to give big, big, big hugs to my girls all across the world. You know, I always say when you support I Am The Code, you're elevating young women and girls globally. And I really mean this sincerely. Our girls are doing very well. Then Kakuma Refugee Camp in Kenya, where they've been working extremely hard, actually, on the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. They've got mentors and they've been developing their solutions. I cannot wait. They've been even planting trees, I heard. They've got their own lands and they've been planting trees. I cried, actually, when I heard that. Beautiful, beautiful stories. You know, one of the things I've been always saying is that we need to really start thinking about the power of the Internet. Our girls don't have access to content, infrastructure, and connectivity. I Am The Code is doing everything we can to make sure the girls don't miss out. But they are missing out, and it is so unnecessary. It is so unnecessary, really. We need digital inclusion. Digital inclusion is a must. We need to do something about this as soon as possible. We must also learn about history, especially Black African history. And I've got someone amazing for you, wonderful human being. My friend, my brother, and someone I look up to, literally, I do. His name is Salim Amin. He's a wonderful guy. He's the chairman of Camera Pix. He's a Nairobi-based company and the chairman of the Mohammed Amin Foundation. If you have not heard about the late Mohammed Amin, I will suggest that you Google him and check the beautiful gift he has left us across the world. I was so honored to go and visit Salim's father's house in Nairobi. And when he showed me the photos and the archives, I wanted to have him on the podcast so he can tell us himself why he's so passionate for all of us to learn about the work of his late father. Salim is a wonderful man. He's been trying to let us know that we need to help him. We need to support him so he can show us the amazing photos his father has left us. I really hope you will enjoy my conversation with Salim and you will learn quite a lot about him. You can follow him on Instagram, on Facebook and check him out. He's a wonderful, wonderful human being. And I will see you on the other side. Hello, boys and girls. I hope you're doing well. This is another podcast for this Friday, and I'm so honored to have somebody I respect, and I've been watching his work for a very long time, but also he's my brother and somebody I look up to. His name is Salim Amin. Salim, how are you? Mariam, lovely to be with you. I'm doing okay, just surviving, and wishing all your listeners a very happy new year as well, and I hope that 2021 is going to be good for all of them. You know, I'm so excited to have you because we've been doing the podcast for quite a while now, but I've been having conversations with amazing people. And let me tell you why I wanted to invite you to the podcast. I think you've done really amazing things that maybe you don't know, but for the sake of the podcast, I just want to let you know. I think one of the things I remember you doing is you always told us, as somebody we respect in the continent, about information and narratives and data content. The information we have as Africans, how do we make sure we put it out there, but at the same time, we tell our stories. And then I think the second component that really impressed me, we are both young global leaders from the World Economic Forum, but you always hold us accountable. Also held your, your head very high and always promoting the work of your late father, which we're going to talk about. I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast and welcome to the I Am The Code podcast. It's my absolute pleasure and honor to be invited on this the work that you're doing and the example that you're setting, Mariam, on this continent is fantastic. So I'm very, very pleased to help be a part of your journey. So how are you doing? I know you have children and how are you in Nairobi right now? I'm in Kenya at the moment and haven't got on a plane since February last year, which for me is a bit of a record. I used to be on a plane every two or three weeks for the last 35 years and traveling somewhere or the other. And I've been forced to stay home, which has been uh, actually a really wonderful 
experience. I'm actually, you know, it's, it's been, I thought I would be going mad and crazy sitting in one place <laughs> because I'm so used to traveling, but actually it's been a, it's been a time to reflect. It's been a time to spend with family. Mm. It's been, a, you know, my two daughters uh, were in university in the UK, but they had to come back. We managed to get them back home just before the lockdown uh, in Kenya started because remember Kenya, like many African countries, locked down their borders completely. They shut the airports for almost seven months. And so it was impossible to fly in and out. So they managed to get in just before that. So we've really spent a lot of quality time together that we haven't ever been, I've never been able to do throughout their life. So, you know, getting to know each other a little bit more and getting to reconnect with each other. Uh, But on the work front, also being able to spend time in our archive, we have this you, you touched on the, the work of my father. And one of the biggest things that he left behind was this incredible archive of content, almost mm. 3 million images and 10,000 hours of video. And I never really had a lot of time to spend in the archives because of traveling all the time or being busy on other things that take other stupid things now that I see them. So in hindsight, unnecessary trips and conferences. And I know, travel. business class. <laughs> exactly. You know, very unnecessary stuff. And so now I've, this last year, I've been able to really spend time in the archives and I'm blown away by the incredible history of our continent that I never knew much about. It's unbelievable. You know, I remember you inviting me in London to come in and see, you know, where your your father, I'll talk about, because I think it's really important that we talk about this, you know, a little bit in depth. But I remember you inviting me. I didn't know anything about this, by the way. You invited me to come where he was hanging around sometime in London as a journalist. I was so impressed by that. But also I've learned, when I saw him in this club, it was like, wow, you know, I was so impressed. We only hear the name, but we didn't know who he was. But let me ask you a little bit more about your background. So where did you grow up? Did you grow up in Kenya? What is your background? Yeah, I was born and raised in Kenya, so I've grown up here all my life. My father was also born here. My grandparents came from what was then India before the partition there. My grandfather was brought by the British, like many Asians were, to build a railway that went across East Africa. 1950s, right? In the 1950s, exactly. That went across from Mombasa through to Lake Victoria. So he was a a stonemason on the railway tracks. And so my father was born in Kenya and then grew up in Tanzania in Dar es Salaam because my grandfather was transferred there when he was very little. So he grew up in Dar es Salaam and then uh, lived in East Africa all his life and covered the entire continent for the best part of 40 years as a journalist. Wow. And do you have any siblings? I have no siblings. So I'm the only child that I know of anyway. So yeah, that, that's just, it's, just, uh, it's just me. It's just me. And I feel lucky that it's only me sometimes. And sometimes I do miss having someone to share mm, um, mm. a lot of the, 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 the burden of keeping his legacy alive um, with, you know. But, uh, but, you know, I cannot complain. I had a very privileged upbringing. He sent me to get the best education possible. The fact that I was completely hopeless at studying. So did you study in Nairobi, in Kenya as well? I did. I went to primary and high school in in Kenya. We're private schools, uh, British uh, schools here. And then I went to university in Vancouver, Canada. Um, So I spent four years in Canada doing journalism and then came back. And basically, I think I graduated. I'm telling you how old I am. I graduated in 1992 when I was 22 years old. And I came back to Kenya to work for him. And the first assignment in in December of 92 was the American Marines going into Somalia because of the famine and to distribute food, which became a complete mess afterwards. And, uh, And so that was my first assignment. I ended up spending about 18 months in Mogadishu Uh, on and off covering that uh, conflict, which ended up being a conflict, was there during Black Hawk Down and and all those incidents. lost a lot of colleagues as well that were killed uh, during that time in Mogadishu. And then, um, you know, we hopped into Rwanda in 1994, and we were the first teams into Kigali uh, when the genocide began in 1994. So we spent about six months there covering that, which was, I think, the toughest story that I'd ever done and, and definitely the toughest that most people had ever covered. 
And um, so, you know, that was sort of my baptism into the news business. Wow. I didn't know that. I didn't know you started very, very early. You know, I was reading the work you've been doing on the archives. I mean, I I can talk about the archives until tomorrow. I've been to your <laughs> office. I've seen them. I'm such a big fan. I got my book, by the way. We'll talk about the book as well. It's so amazing. I mean, the other day I was showing it to my son. He was like, mommy, this is this is amazing. I know, I know, it's really amazing. But in 1998, you, um, you know, the, the, the Mohammed Amin Foundation was launched, right? Yeah. Why do you think it's important to, to create the foundation and, and tell the African stories? Well, it really was one of my father's dreams that he never lived long enough to, to achieve because throughout his career, he made a name for himself by, by and a reputation for being the first person to get world-exclusive stories out of Africa, whether it was the coverage of the Zanzibar revolution, whether it was Idi Amin Dada's reign in Uganda, whether it was the Ethiopian famine uh, in 1984. He was the first person to get these stories out. And for him, the reason he was the first was because he was an African, because he was born and raised on this continent. He knew he had the contacts, he had the access, he had the local knowledge, he had all of that, those factors that made him better than any foreign correspondent that would come into the continent. So, so he really was disappointed that our stories were being told by people from the West, journalists, parachuting into the continent. Especially that time in the 1990s. Oh my goodness. 80s, 90s, <laughs> 70s, 80s, 90s. Our story was always told by the people that colonized us. And for him, that was a crying shame. And not many people knew that he was the one that brought so many of those stories on because he was a cameraman. So he was oh. behind the scenes always. So people didn't know that he was the one that inspired The Last King of Scotland, the, the book and, and the film. They didn't know that it was his footage of, of the famine in 1984 that, that, that inspired Bob Geldof to, to do Band-Aid and then uh, We Are the World with Harry Belafonte. And I'm sure he's many people's enemies. And, uh, and then it went on to Live Aid. So, you know, this, but these stories were told by an African. And that's something that he really wanted to make sure that the skills that he could pass, because he felt that we have so many talented young journalists on this continent, but they're never given the opportunities because there is this stigma, and it still continues to this day. It's better now than it was before, but it still continues that we're not as good. We're not as highly trained. We're not as um, technical as people that come from the West. I was going to ask you about that because I think, do you mind just telling the girls and the boys who's your father and just say his name? So if they're going to Google it, you know, or if we have girls and boys who are doing journalism. So do you mind just telling them a little bit about, you know, your father's name and, and who he is? So his name was uh, Mohammed Amin and he was, um, he was a journalist that worked throughout Africa in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s and 90s. And as I mentioned before, he did all these massive stories the world exclusive, but he also spent a lot of his time covering the culture, people, traditions of flora, fauna, the beauty of Africa, because he wanted to make sure that he captured every aspect of this continent. We, we can't deny that there were wars and famines and genocides. These things all happened, but that's not all that was there. But that's how this continent was portrayed for gener for for almost two generations was just this dark was known as the dark continent and he wanted to change that image by showing the beauty of this continent the history of the people this is where mankind uh, people kind originated from mm. you know we this is where we first we took our first footsteps millions and millions of years ago and he wanted us to he wanted the world to see the beauty of this continent. If you go to places like Ethiopia and you look at the, the history of Ethiopia and, and the churches and, and they can trace their lineage back to biblical times and, and uh, Eritrea and, and Sudan and, and uh, the, the, the Maghreb region. There's so much incredible history here that is never captured. So for him, you know, as a journalist, he was obviously where the news was, but whenever he wasn't covering news, he wanted to tell You know, so if there are aspiring journalists amongst your listeners, mm -hmm. then, you know, please look at telling every aspect of the story of our continent, not just the, the, um, the, the, the breaking news stuff, which 
by its very uh, nature is bad news always about coups and about dictators and about corruption and, and disease and HIV and all of these things. Find all the beautiful, amazing stories of amazing people on this continent. But, you know, it's really fascinating you said that because I remember when I came to the office in, in Nairobi, you know, you, you couldn't show us everything. But I remember when you gave us the book, you know, this is the book where you had you, you selected some beautiful photos, including the the prison of uh, Kenya's father and the prison of Kenya when he was young. I was so touched by that because, you know, uh, the reason I was touched that day is because personally, I don't have a lot of photos of myself as a young girl, as a young child. And I always wanted to, you know, sometimes I see my friends talking about their childhood, their parents, and they show their mom and dad and all of that. And that day I left your, I left your office really touched because people don't understand archive. They don't understand the photos and, and, and art. And I, I, what I saw that day was art, you know, really this amazing guy, you know, collecting arts and us as Africans looking, I look at Sekuture in Guinea, the photos, I was like, what? You know, I was so shocked. So, you know, now, now we see the, what's happening right now with the U.S. elections, quick media is happening. And I, I do agree with you that the African journalists and our fellow journalists don't, you know, and communicators don't actually really do their homework because I really wanted people to do their homework when it comes to the African continent. What is the advice you have right now for, you know, the new media, because you've been investing and working in the creative industry for a very long time. What is your advice for, for us to really take our time to look into content, into archive, to understand the history and the stories of our continent? What do you say to people? Well, I think, you know, for me, I've, I've, one of the things that I've learned is that if we don't understand our history we and we don't learn from it, we will continue to make the same mistakes going forward. We will never be able to progress properly if we don't look at our history. And however much criticism we might have for the West and what they've done to this continent, if you look at how the West has preserved their history, it's quite incredible um, to see their museums and and the way that they have looked after their histories, even though some of their histories were very violent and revolutionary and, and barbaric in many ways. Um, but they've, they've, they, they make sure that their people learn about them so that those mistakes are hopefully not repeated. And, and this, I think, is one of the biggest problems we have on the continent is we mm -hmm. keep focusing on the present rather than on the past and what has happened and how, you know, what were the visions what was the vision of our founding fathers? People like uh, Thomas Sankara and Kwame Nkrumah and Haile Selassie and Jomo Kenyatta. And they all had a, a vision of a united Africa, of a continent that, could, that would trade with itself, that would deal with itself, that would learn from each other. They were dignified men, Absolutely. intellectuals, educated people. And they were also revolutionary. They also fought for their independence. So they had an understanding of how precious independence was because they fought for it and i think we have lost that that passion for our independence we want to be too much like the west you know we this is this is where we look up to whether it's in sports heroes or music we want to emulate the west when actually all they're doing is copying our history and copying our talent and the things that we do so we need to you know we need to push and it is happening it is changing but we need to really push that African identity and be proud of who we are, where we've come from, the journey we've taken, the mistakes. We've got to own the mistakes that we've made to ensure that we don't repeat them. So these are the stories that I think, you know, I would I always advise young journalists that look beyond the scenes. We have, you have, as young people have, this incredible platform that didn't exist when I was starting as a journalist, you have these incredible platforms um, on the internet, all these incredible social media platforms that can tell you a story. You don't need to be published by a newspaper or a magazine, or a, you don't need to work for a TV station. You can put all your material out there, and if it's good, it will get a following, and you'll be able to reach you know, hundreds of millions of people, um, something that traditional media even now cannot do. And you've got to use these tools, but you have to be able to tell good stories, ethical stories, stories that have context well put together. So these are some of the things that use the, the tools, 
but don't become a slave to the internet and just mm. retweet and and you know just um, uh, follow the masses. Always look for new and interesting and exciting content within the continent. But you are right. You know that the the other thing I was talking to the young girls the other day about is you know uh, camera pics. You know, Camera Picks, uh, your organization, you know, you guys offer, you know, a wide range of media services, including television production, publishing, all of the stuff we really need right now. But in Africa, it's so hard to be published. I'm writing my book right now. It should be launched in March. Mm-hmm. And it's, and I, I agree with you that I'm not I'm not waiting for publisher to publish my book. I'm going to put everything on, on Amazon because now, 10 years ago, we didn't have all of this. But I think sometimes I really think about, um, you also have... Uh, really, you know, your work is home of over 4 million, you know, images of Africa. And I'm saying to myself, how do we learn from this? How do we go and support your organization so we have archives? There are so many young people right now growing up in the continent. They've never seen the photo of Sekuture. They know they don't know who Lassana Conte is, <laughs> you know. And so, you know, I, I always said to myself, that's why I love the work you do, the work you do in Africa, in Asia, in the Middle East. Six thousand hours of unique and historic video footage. It's really amazing. And and you know, camera pics just for girls and boys. If you want to know, is the largest visual resource of its kind in Africa. So, what can we do to make sure? You know, I was just thinking the other day, we need to have a school for Mohammed Amin Foundation. We need to have a school for your father on your father's name, so we can get this. Boy Boys and girls to go and study archive, study content, mm. because I feel that right now, you know, even our fellow BBC people, I feel that everything is short. Even the people who write the content for them, because we, you and I, write our own content. I feel mm-hmm. that the people that write their own content don't even take care of the African side. What can we do about this, Salim? Well, I think for us, it's about getting our content into accessible by as many people, young Africans especially, as possible. And and the idea is, I mean, one of our challenges is is the digitization of all this content to make sure that it's all digitized. Only a, a fraction of it has been digitized. But the idea is that at some point, uh, hopefully in my lifetime, the content will be digitized and we would create educational curriculum because young people these days are not learning the way I learned well, probably even the way you learned, Mariam, you're still a generation after me. And we didn't, they don't read these days. They don't read books and they don't read, they, no. they want to be, they want to be interactive with content. They want to absorb content on their devices, on mobile phones or iPads or laptops or whatever devices will come in the future, whatever platforms will come in the future. The content is always going to be absolutely key. And for us, it's about making this content digestible and absorbable in a particular format that appeals to young people so that they can get immersed in it and they can learn more about their continent. So we want to create curriculum, online, digital, interactive curriculum, looking at you know the life of Hela Selassie or Kenneth Kaunda or the famine in Ethiopia or the Almolo tribe in Turkana, whatever the subjects may be and there's hundreds and thousands of them, create these modules that have text, that have uh, photos, that have videos, and can actually work together, and young people can get involved in them. And the the amount of knowledge they will get from them, I think, will change their view of Africa, Um, not just their own countries. always have to think Pan-African. We can't keep thinking, well, I'm Kenyan, so I only care about what Kenya does, and I don't care what Nigeria does, I don't care what um, Sierra Leone or Guinea or Liberia or South Africa does, but you should care because everything that's happening is going to affect your life in some way. So we need to educate ourselves in terms of what our fellow Africans are doing, how we can work together, create networks. And that all comes, for me, that all comes from understanding our history. I was with you uh, in South Africa for the World Economic Forum in 2019. God, it seems like a lifetime ago. Um, I think you were there for the WEF forum in Cape Town, and and the um, xenophobia, you know, um, uh, attacks were happening, and the demonstrations against people from Zimbabwe or Nigeria or what the South Africans were calling foreigners, you know, coming to take their jobs. And and you know, uh, looking out at those demonstrations and some of the brutal 
brutality that was happening against these other refugees from other African countries. I was shocked. And I thought, you know, all these people that are committing, these South Africans that are committing these atrocities against their fellow Africans, they're all in their 20s and 30s. They never lived through apartheid. Um, they don't understand. They've probably never been taught what these countries, what the Zimbabweans, the Namibians, the, the people from Mozambique, what are, Tanzania, Nigeria, what did they do for South Africa yep. to help them get out of apartheid? What sacrifices they made for South Africans so that they could get out of, from under apartheid? Perhaps if they knew that, there would be some empathy towards these other people, exactly. uh, a way to create dialogue. And for me, that really brought it home how important it is that everyone should learn about everybody else's history. I agree. I mean, if you look at right now, the United States is the same. Right now, I was talking to a couple of friends a couple of weeks ago. I mean, they used to dictate us uh, morality, leadership in Africa. And what's happening in the United States is terrible. They are, yeah. you know, sabotaging their own country. And, and you know, the whole Black Lives Movement that happened last year and continues to, to, to go on. I mean, all these things, again, can be traced back to Africa. They can be traced back to, you know, the people that are demonstrating their ancestors came from this continent. And again, having an understanding of that, America can no longer have any moral high ground over any country now. Thanks to Trump, America is completely finished in terms of being a, a policeman to the world or dictating or lecturing to the world. And it's because of a handful, literally a, a small number of people that have that have destroyed that uh, that whole um, uh, mm. structure that they've, they, they've spent 250 years building. Can you imagine? I mean, we look we look up to them, you know, U.S. embassies. When you go there, I mean, Senegal, we have a massive U.S. embassy. When you enter there, you know, you like, OK, this is like I can stay here. I can be safe, you know. <laughs> no longer. No longer, Mario. <laughs> no longer. I mean, it's, it's fascinating because when you go to the Senegal embassy, they literally build from street to street, right? And you feel safe there. But now I don't know if, if something happened to me, if I can, if I can be safe in, in, in the embassy. You know, it's crazy. You know, your blood is African. You're from the continent. You are as African. You do everything that you do has an impact on Africa. So, you know, it's, not, it's, it, it's something that, you know, we also have to, I think... It, it is going to change the way young Africans look at America because it was always like, oh, I must get to America. <laughs> That's no longer going to be the case. I think, That's true. you know, a, a lot of people in America will be thinking, God, I really need to look for opportunities in Africa now, especially African-Americans. It's funny you said that because <laughs> my son told me yesterday, mommy, do you know if we, how do Americans get become a refugee if something happened? And I was like, Dude, I don't know if they become a refugee. He said, you know, can you just tell us, you know, if, if, if something happened to America, can they become a refugee in Africa? I was laughing my head It's off. a very good question. It's <laughs> it a was, very it good was. question. I mean, I can imagine Americans just, you know, coming across in boats to Nigeria and Ghana you know, landing there and, and asking for refugee status. Can you imagine? It's not unlikely. It's not, you know, we laugh at it, but it's not, it's, you know, the, 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 we've seen how quickly, you know, established government democracies can crumble because of, mm. because of um, you know, Rome. And I mean, you go back into history again, you know, the empires that are destroyed, whether it was the British Empire or the Roman Empire uh, or the Ottoman Empire, you know, these were structures that people expected to rule the world for hundreds and hundreds of years. But nothing is nothing is um, set in stone. So, you know, we, we can we can definitely look back at America now and see that maybe this is the beginning of the end. <laughs> anyway, it's, it's really fascinating. Honestly, yesterday I was thinking about my, I said to my son, how did you get this idea from me? He said, you know, I just want to know if, if, if really one day there's a war, where would they go as refugees? Because they're always criticizing refugees and immigrants. And I was just like, I said to my son, that's really funny. Let me ask you another question. One of the other things I, I, I really liked you doing is the love you have for your father, you know, the, 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 the care and the, you know, the dedication in telling his story, but also sharing what he has done. 
how hard was it to chronicle his life, to make sure that you are writing his life since 2006, you've been doing this. How hard mm. is it? Was it was it a healing process or was it just because you wanted to keep his digital legacy? Can you, Do you mind just sharing a little bit about that? I mean, I, I for me, it was a very cathartic process. It was, a, it was very much a healing process because I didn't really know him while he was alive because, uh, you know, we never... I was studying, I was only 25 when he died. So I didn't really get a lot of time with him to be able to understand him and know him and have those sort of deep father-son conversations because he was hardly ever around when I was growing up because he was he was traveling and, and covering stories and, and doing his photography and filming. So we never really got that time. So taking that journey through his life to try and understand who he was and why he did the things that he did was a very healing process for me and helped me get through a lot of, in some ways, anger and bitterness towards him and helped me process that properly and really appreciate and understand the difference that he made to the world, to Africa and to the world through his work and through his life. And I never appreciated that while he was alive. Um, so, you know, it's, 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 for me, it's not a job. It's actually a joy being able to um, you know, to, to work with his work, to be able to bring his work back to life, to be able to to look and learn through all the things that he left behind. So um, for me, it's, it's really, it's, it's, not, it's not been difficult. Um, it's just trying to uh, package it and understanding, make people understand really what a difference this man made from nothing. He was born into a very poor family, as I said, uh, earlier, you know, he didn't have any education. He didn't have any formal training in photography or or filmmaking or anything like that. He just had incredible passion and commitment and drive. And and you know, for again, all your young uh, listeners out there uh, that think that that times are tough and it's very difficult doing this, don't give up on these things because you know everything is possible. And that's what his life proved to me that it, you know, as long as you're dedicated and committed and you have a focus on, on what you want to do, then you can achieve, you know, you can achieve incredible things in any field that you choose. Thank you so much for saying that. The other thing I was going to talk to you about now is your leadership style. You know, we all know the work you've been doing around uh, copyright in Africa, uh, you know, making sure that people you know, conserve what they have and don't don't do plagiarism and don't copy other people's ideas and and all of this you know respect the, the archives and you've been doing that right now when you look into uh you know the entire continent and the content we have something we could also develop because now we have podcasts social media all of this new technology is coming in what do you what can we do as african to uh, to conserve you know the archive of your father what what help do you need from us well, I think, I mean, I don't know anything about creating curriculum. So finding people who are interested in African history, professors that, that teach African history, that have studied, studied the continent, you know, to get people like that to come and help put together this curriculum and make some sense of all of this content and put it into the right context would be very useful. Um, obviously help to digitize it faster than we are doing at the moment. We are doing it with whatever limited resources we have um, as and when we can. So, you know, assistance with that. But uh, the bottom line is it boils down to, to basically having, you know, some sort of financial help as well as creative and, and, um, and uh, cultural help to be able to, to uh, get this archive digital and made available to the rest of the world, primarily to Africa, but I think the entire world will benefit from this being available and online. So that's kind of the, the, the help that we need uh, to do it. We know we have the content, we know we have the goods, but I just don't know how to digitize it faster, how to, you know, to, to, to make sure that it is, it is uh, packaged in the right way to appeal to you know, people, uh, young children in primary school. There has to be a different version for uh, young adults in secondary schools. There has to be a different version for people in universities studying African studies. So all these versions, you know, I, I'm not skilled to do these things. 
That's, uh, I really hope that the, all the our guests, our partners listening, will reach out to you and, and help you because I definitely think that if we can digitalize, you know, your father's work, it will be not only beneficial for us Africans, but also going to benefit, uh, you know, for all of us across the world. Because I think, I think the reason why I said that is because it's really important to know, as you said earlier, where we come from. Who are these leaders of, of, of yesterday? We have people like Donald Trump who want to become wannabe dictators. And I was saying to my son the other day, he doesn't know anything about dictatorship. You just need to know Idi Amin. <laughs> you know, literally. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you know Idi Amin's work or you know, you know, Mobutu Seseko in 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 Kinshasa, you will definitely know, you know, what the dictator you know look like. So he's an amateur anyway. But um I know we, we nearly finished, but I, I also want to ask you something around, you know, um what do you what do you tell your children you know now you are you know one one son and have all of this you know pressure on you to put this content out there how are your children taking this on this legacy this big 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 legacy for the continent well to be honest i mean you know they 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 know a lot about their grandfather they they've read a lot they've seen a lot um but this is not you know the, 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 for me this is a passion and i think for anybody that needs to get into that wants to get into this kind of a, a field, it has to be a passion. So I've never forced them to get into this. They're both excellent photographers. Um, they're both very creative in their own ways. But, you know, the older one's passion is law. The younger one's passion is actually speech therapy, as I was telling you earlier, uh, Mariam. So, you know, they've got different passions. And I always believe that, and this is, again, to any young person that I've ever spoken to, is follow your passion. Nobody can in, impose their passion on you and expect you to, to to love it. I was very lucky that I was passionate about the same thing that my father was, about telling stories, about media, about photography, about filmmaking. Those were the same passions that I had and continue to have. But I would never force it onto my children and never have. So this is why it's even more important for me to ensure that in my lifetime, this archive is preserved. It's um, it's it's distributed for for the the the, the enlightenment of, of of generations to come, um, and uh, and we're not relying. You know, there there are better and bigger institutions than than myself that can do much better work with this content. And the idea would be to to partner with them, get it to them, and and leave it in good hands when I'm no longer here. I mean, I also, the other thing I also touched my heart when in 2004, you know, a gentleman called uh, Peter Murimi of Kenya, yeah. he, he was the first graduate of the MoForce. What was the, what is the MoForce then? Can you tell us a little bit about it? The MoForce is the graduates of the Muhammad Amin Foundation. So we set up the foundation, the training school that you talked about uh, was set up in 1998. And, uh, and it, you know, it trained so far to date has trained over 450 Young Africans to in 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 um, storytelling and journalism and very much the technical side of how to make good stories. So looking at lighting, I've always felt you never you never need to teach Africans how to tell stories. We are natural storytellers, uh, but giving them the tools to do it in an audiovisual way was what the foundation was doing um, to the very highest international standards and quality. So Pete was one of the early graduates of the of the foundation and, you know, won, won the um, uh, CNN African Journalist of the Year Award um, uh, in, in 2004 for his story on, uh, on FGM um, and got exclusive access to, to a tribe in, in Kenya mm -hmm. that still performs FGM and, and did that. And, and, I, and Pete last year, I believe it was last year, won the Rory Peck Award. Which is yes, another I very saw. Prestigious I award. saw. Yeah, he won that last year for one of his documentaries more recent documentaries so That's amazing. Um, you know all the graduates that have come from the school have gone on to do incredible things and and you know they are the pride and joy of the foundation and they've taken my father's name you know with them and and his uh and his uh skills and his his legacy it, it also lives within them you know, we we as Africans, we don't know how to thank you. Me personally, I want to thank you so much for uh, not only uh, keeping these archives, 
Uh, I will personally try to find the people who will do this this curriculum because it's going to benefit all of us. It's a humanity. We need to do it together. It's not for you, as you said. But the other thing um, I also want to really thank you for is the fact that you're not giving up on this because it's really hard to tell the African story, but also to to talk about the archive, the past. You know, this is not the past. This is history and art. Uh, if yes. you think about if you think about everything you've done, you know, you always you're a very humble mm. man. But you know, you're very humble. You always talk about you know how privileged you are, mm. all of that to be you know the the, the you know the, the son of your father. If you think about your childhood and think about everything you've done, work hard. Hard mm. fight and and what would you say to the youngest uh, Salim? I mean today. Um, no, I would say look, don't don't ever take yourself seriously. For me, it was don't ever think that you know everything. Keep an open mind. Always be willing to learn as you grow. Because the minute that you think that you know everything, then that's the time to find something, a new profession to do. I've been doing this for the last thirty years. And I'm still learning every single day about something new, whether it's technology, whether it's storytelling methods, whatever it might be. So, you know, I would tell my young self that, listen, don't take yourselves too seriously. Um, enjoy the ride because we really only have one opportunity at this and we should enjoy it. And, uh, you know, the, the, there is uh, be passionate about what you do. Wake up in the morning wanting to go and do whatever it is that you do. And then it's it's not work. It's not a job. It's a, it's a passion. You enjoy it. And it gives you a reason to get up in the morning. And it gives you so much drive and commitment that for me was really a revelation that what I do is not work. It's just passion. And it's fun. And I love it. Wow, that's really. I hope they're listening to you very carefully. Uh, yeah, last week I had a I had an amazing woman on the podcast. We uh, the team of the I am the Code podcast about rebuilding inclusion. I know one of your biggest work in Kenya is to you know mentor people and support them, include them into the conversation. Why mm -hmm. do you think it's important to 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 build the inclusion, build back better with COVID nineteen, everything that has has been happening, we lost business, lost money, people are suffering. Why do you think it's important that we rebuild inclusion now in this in this time? And I think you know if, if we don't include the next generation in in uh, what is going to come next for us, then we we have a serious problem on our hands. You know, young people are the future; they always have been. Um, you know, and and they're bringing so many ideas and, and opportunities with them and to, to not include them in the conversation, to not have them as part of the leadership uh, of different countries, to make sure that, that young women are included um, uh, is very, very important. I mean, take COVID as an example. The countries that did the best management of COVID were all run by women. And that surely should tell us something that, you know, we've been doing it wrong all of these years. You know, we need to have more women in leadership roles. We need to have people of color represented everywhere, in every whether it's in government, whether it's in private sector, whether it's in civil service. You know, we need to, we need to build on the experiences of people that have come from different backgrounds and have learned different things. And until we do that, we are still going to keep struggling with getting it right in the world. The other thing that touched my heart last year when I was in Kenya, I was sitting in a restaurant with a journalist called Yashu Yoshi Shiba. And, uh, and I was talking about content and creations and things. I said, do you know, Salim? I mean, he said, yeah. I used to work with his father. I was so I was so touched. He's a Japanese journalist living in Kenya. So I just wanted the girls to know that you are also this person who not touched us as Africans, but also, you know, Jap he was really telling me that he got inspired by your father's work. And I was in this restaurant in, in the middle of Nairobi. I was really touched by that. Why do you think this is important for you to do? Just help people. Why do you do that? Well, I don't think, I mean, I don't, I think it's our duty as human beings is to always give back. You know, you can't keep taking and taking. And that's, that's the problem with, I think, our planet is we can't just keep taking. We have to give things back and, and giving back to young people. It's not materialistic things that we're giving back. It's, it's, it's time and advice and, 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 uh, and um, imparting whatever little wisdom, more importantly, imparting all the mistakes that we have made in our life. So 
so that they can learn from those the way we never learned from them. You know, and, and I think that's so vital to be able to to have those conversations and to be able to help young people on their journey where in a very in a very increasingly confused world that is overwhelming for many people because of all of this information that's out there. While information is a lovely thing, when you are bombarded with so much of it every day and you have all these different platforms, sometimes it can get confusing. And that's when maybe a conversation with somebody older that has gone through more of life's journey than you have is something that can can really help you out. Um, uh, you know, and so I feel being a, a not even a mentor, just being a voice or a, a shoulder to lean on for young people when they're looking for advice is something that I'm privileged to do. For me personally, I am so happy to have you on this podcast. What would you say is one of your proudest moments? You know, one of the things you've done that you feel that this is my proudest moment. And I'm very proud of it as a father, as somebody who's keeping my father's legacy going. Um, well, I would think that there's a couple of them. I mean, I think watching my children grow up the way they've grown up is, is makes me very, very proud um, because, you know, I'm, I'm, we, we're we're good friends with each other. So that's something that I never got that opportunity with my father. So that's something that, that they're setting up the foundation and, um, you know, uh, being a part of the journey of these incredible young African journalists and watching them, you know, excel um, and knowing that we've been a small part of their, their life and have helped them get to that point is another part of extreme pride. Uh, for me. And um, and I guess also kind of publishing my first book uh, in, in, in the end of 2018, the, the Kenya book that you spoke about. That was amazing. Earlier, that, that, that was, again, a, a great, because, you know, it was something I never thought I'd be able to do to, to publish a book. And yet when I look back at it, I was, you know, 49 years old when it came out. And um, my father by that time had published 75 books. So I keep thinking, well, maybe it wasn't such a great achievement after all, <laughs> but it made me proud to do it anyway. Oh, wow. that's really amazing. I mean, you published a book. I love the book. I have it in my house and I always watch it. Uh, one, oh, more, one, more, one more bonus point. Why do you think the world needs your father's archive and the content we have in Africa? Can you just please help us with this? Why do you think the world needs it? Oh, I think going back to what, what we said earlier, is it, it, it needs it to understand the, the, the rich history of this continent. Um, it needs it to understand the opportunities that this continent brings today. It needs to understand the culture and the perseverance and the pride um, of, and the history of the people of this continent, which are its, its life's blood, is the, is the, is the amazing people that populate this continent and the potential that it has. So for me, all of those things coming together are why this archive is so important, that, that looking at the innovation, looking at the sport talent, looking at the music, looking at the art, um, uh, you know, th these are things that we need to showcase and show off to the rest of the world to say that, you know, our time is, is, is it was there and it's coming back again. And we're going to be part of the conversation. We're no longer going to be left out of this global conversation. We're going to be a part of it. We can feed the whole world from what we have in Africa. We can provide all the minerals you know, that the world needs to, to power its devices and everything from Africa. So we now need to be a big part of, of, that, um, of that conversation and that leadership going forward. Oh, I've learned so much today. I was looking for this moment. Seriously, I was looking for this moment to have you on the podcast, to learn from you. You are somebody I love and admire, and I'm really proud of your, your children as well. Salim Amin, thank you so much for coming on the I Am The Code podcast. Thank you for being here. And I really think that every single person listening to this podcast should go and, and, and come forward to support you. We have students in Oxford. We have students all, all across the world. I'm sure somebody will come forward to uh, take this curriculum on and help you digitalize uh, this archive. So boys and girls, thank you so much for being here. Salim Amin. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mariam. It's been an absolute pleasure and an honor. And uh, God bless you all.
wonderful human being Salim you know he's really wonderful he welcomed me in his father's house in Nairobi i was so so moved by that because i didn't know actually what the late mohammed amin has left us i was really really moved so please check him out if you can one of the thing i've been reading recently is from a great malian writer amadou ampati ba please check him out it's african literature Amadou Ampatiba. He said something very profound and when you listen to what Salim has just said, it will really show you that he was right. He said, and I quote, in Africa, when an old man dies, a library burns. Let me say that one more time. He said, in Africa, when an old man dies, a library burns. When I saw Salim's father's photo, I realized that we have so much to learn from our own continent. He has left us a library and let's not burn it. Let's make sure we have more books in the library. Let's appreciate the assets we have in the continent and share more. Let's support each other and let's go and help Salim Amin so all of these fantastic photos can benefit young boys and girls growing up across the world i think we should really help because we don't know much about our history and something i also been always saying to people when you don't know where you come from you don't know where you're going you've been listening to the i am the code podcast i'm your host mariam shaham i love talking to you i love being here with you Thank you so much for your support and I hope you are including people in your organization you're working with them and you're listening and you're sharing times are tough right now and when times are tough we tend to forget others let's not do that let's include everyone into the conversation because tomorrow is another day remember to subscribe and follow us we are a very very small team at I am the code dedicated to making the world a better place by creating inspiring content for people like you who want to do better and be better. It is my absolute honor to talk to you again this week. Thank you so much and I will see you again for another episode. Thank you and goodbye.